Welcome to the second season of HuffPost Humans. I'm Libby Jane Charleston. And I'm Tori Maguire. And today we're talking about raising remarkable boys. Now, when I discovered I was pregnant with not one but two boys, I was really amazed at the reaction I got. I got two boys, what a handful. Then I had a third boy and people either rolled their eyes, they asked me if I was going to try for a girl, or they said the word boys in a really horrified way. But for me, growing up in a family of girls and going to an all-girls school, I was absolutely overjoyed. How did people react to you, Tori? I think maybe because I grew up in the opposite situation to you with three older brothers, I reckon that most people could see that boys and I go well together. And so I didn't have any of that sort of, oh, do you wish you were having a girl? Do you want to have a girl try thing? Because um, people could tell that I was thrilled. We didn't know either pregnancy officially what we were having, but I was 100% sure they were boys because that was the only thing I could imagine. Oh, see, as you said, absolute opposite to me, absolute mystery, the mystery of having a male. And also this incredible fascination to think that my female body could produce a male. That's one thing that really <laughs> staggered me. And, but it is, it's a really wild but wonderful ride. There's a lot of misconceptions. That whole idea that, you know, boys are rough and tumble or boys are tougher and people go, oh, girls are, girls are harder to look after, they're more emotional. I tell you what, little boys, they love hard they love really hard and they can be really complicated and complex and emotional and this idea that little boys are just running around playing superheroes while the girls are in the corner being thoughtful is could not be more wrong. And little boys just love their mum to the point of obsession. <laughs> I don't know about you but my boys have all had separation anxiety and I've got photos of them at the age of three, you know, screaming their heads off as I'm going to the shops. Right. <laughs> my, look, mine go up and down on that. Generally they're pretty good with separation um, but yes, we do. We we are very close. We get along very well. I always get very upset when people say, do you ever wish you had a girl, you know, a yeah. girl to go shopping with? And I always reply, <sighs> well, my boys love shopping. Yeah. And apart from that, shopping is a very small part of your life. Yeah, I know. You know? <laughs> like it's, it's the whole defining exactly, feature or something. That's it. <laughs> I, would, I know that um, I was sitting in my niece's ballet recital when I was pregnant with my second child, not knowing if I was having a boy, just like not praying because I'm not a prayer, but wishing that for um, footy sidelines, oh, not ballet it. concerts. Oh, that's another thing that I found really, um, you know, challenging is, yeah. yes, again, coming from a girl family where we played hockey and that sort of yeah. thing. Suddenly I'm at AFL and soccer. And, I love it. Uh, well, I do love it now, but yeah. it, was, it was such an intriguing journey yeah. for me. But I agree. I think boys get a hard rap. And I used to say sometimes yeah. that perhaps the people making negative comments about boys, maybe they were the ones that were wishing that they had a boy and yeah, bringing that, that... Maybe. And the other thing I always bring up, Tors, is that um, having twin boys was really fascinating because they're completely different personalities. Mm. So one might be a bit more gentle and the other one might be your typical boy and they're brought up exactly the same way. Yeah. So it's all down to personality. It is, isn't it? Personality is powerful. Uh, my two boys are, could not be more different. They get on very well, but the oldest, the older one is... Um, complex and he's philosophical and the younger one is just what you see is what you get. He's much more straightforward and 
the light. Like he's a comedian and <sighs> he's been a comedian from the time that before he could talk, he knew how to crack a joke and he just seeks the laugh. And one thing's for sure, and I'm sure you'll agree, is you are never going to control what comes out of those mouths. <laughs> oh, it. no. That's it. No, at the moment, the little one calls me Captain Bum Trumpet. So oh, no goodness. control over that. <laughs> That's creative. But on a more serious note, it's no secret our boys are going through dangerous mm. times, you know, with issues like suicide and drugs and pornography. And there's so much pressure on them to man up. And mm. that's another thing I always talk about. You don't hear people say to little girls, you've got to toughen up or woman up. So it's really taking its toll. And today, Raising Remarkable Boys is going to involve our experts, Maggie Dent and Troy Jones. And it's all about how to raise remarkable boys, what we're doing right and things um, that we might be doing wrong and how to fix what they say is quite an easily fixable problem. Well, this is something I think about a lot, so I'm looking forward to hearing from them. My first guest is Maggie Dent, otherwise known as the Queen of Common Sense. She has four sons. She's an author and a parenting and resilience specialist. She's also a passionate voice for children of all ages. Now, Maggie, we both know that raising boys is a wild ride, but it's also pretty wonderful. But why are we so concerned right now? We need to be really concerned, Debbie Jane, and that's and and the reasons the statistics are coming through pretty strongly. Um, we've got more four to six year old little boys across Australia being suspended and expelled. That's incredible. We, we never actually used to have it, so that that's a really big sign something's not okay. We've actually got um, the highest rates of ADHD, of course, of boys. More boys are being diagnosed with um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, we've got um, boys disengaging. So the ones who do transition okay into our school environments, and remember, you know, I'll talk to you about that later, that boys are often developmentally behind girls by about six months, sometimes up to 12 months. So um, those that do transition well are often disengaging in years three to five, absolutely bored about school because they just want to be gaming. And then we go further through into the middle years of, of you know, Early high school, shall we put it that way? When I was a high school teacher, let me know, and so I know about this thing about boys. It's a, it's a pretty grotty time. There's all these hormones and badly behaving penises, and they've got no idea that they're grunting or they're carrying on, and they forget things, and and they suddenly feel really threatened in a world where there's so much change going on. So we're actually finding that the depression rates of our teenage boys is the highest we've ever had. The suicide rates the highest we've ever had. We've got boys with eating disorders now. We've got boys who are self harming. Um, and then we go through into the um, looking at the figures as coming out of school and doing university. And we've had a, um, an increase in our brightest boys at university who now fail. So it's up to around 22%. So they used to be doing so much better. In actual fact, the OECD has actually called it a crisis in boys in the Western world. So it is the Western world. It's not just Australia. Um, and I'm deeply passionate about making that and making a difference with that and making sure this can be tilted back because um, when we have angry boys from early on in, in their childhood from being misunderstood or treated more harshly than our girls are, um, they end up quite often being angry men and angry men in relationships are not something that works well. 
It's a simple question, but how easy is it to make a change and what can we do? Oh, look, this is the most beautiful thing about boys. Now, you know, I, I can do both camps. Can I just give a little back, bit of background? Besides teaching in a high school for 17 years, I counselled full-time for a number of years. I worked in palliative care and suicide prevention. But my best trait is I was raised on a farm and my dad was an awesome dad. My mum, no, I struggled deeply with that relationship. And um, so I spent all the time driving around the farm with my dad and the ute. So... I kind of learned how to do man-bloke communication as well as girl-female communication, right? So what I tended to find is that um, us girls hold on to stuff. And we actually know girls can use guilt as a manipulation from about three. Now, a boy, he just can't. He, he's got no idea. That's why they don't lie well. It's quite complex going on in the brain. So the same thing happens around when they make mistakes. If they know um, that we can love them, when they make mistakes and we know that we still love them um, and we say and if we come back and say look I'm really sorry I can see that I've been a bit growly lately or I've been nagging at you a bit lately and I need to give you some more gentle reminders and I'm going to try not to use too many words as a mummy goodness the boys just forgive you straight away mm. but your girls nah they hold on to they it they hold on we do don't we and plot revenge we do we plot revenge we put it in a little basket for later so they do forgive much more easily now we we're talking about how people tend to treat little boys as well as big boys in a much harsher way they do to girls and recently one of my 15 year old sons and a couple of mates tried to go into a store but a security guard standing out the front turned them away unless a parent was with them yet moments later apparently a group of teenage girls they, were man they managed to enter with absolutely no issues. And my son said to me, does that mean that the security guard thought that we would shoplift and the girls wouldn't? Yeah, look, there's a huge, and this is where, where sometimes we've got to unplug this away. So we call it sort of like the influences that softly wire our children in a different direction is that boys are somehow not as valued. And it happened to me when I had my third son. I'm a very proud mum of four sons. When I had my third son, I had people going, oh, no, not another boy. God, you poor thing. When I had the fourth, I almost got bereavement cards and people would just stand in front of my three other little lads going, oh, how horrible for you. Um, but I never heard anyone saying that about girls, even though you have multiples of them. And even today, I can run into someone as I had four sons and they step back and go, you don't look too bad. <laughs> so it's almost like you go off because you've got these really dodgy characters to raise. So can you see there's that? We do. We actually, from the traditional old man code stuff, which is we are thankfully unplugging gradually, which is why our dads can be the awesome, hands-on, loving, soft, mushy dads that they've probably always wanted to be. But if you go back, that man code said, at all costs, you got to look tough. Yep, you're not allowed to show your feelings, you're not allowed to cry. Well, what that says to a boy is, um, if I do, then I'm weak. Yep. So therefore, the perception was they are tough. And so Unbelievably, the research shows that we speak in much more punitive ways towards boys from very early on in their early childhood, and we must stop that. Well, nobody ever tells little girls you've got to yeah. toughen up, woman up. Yeah, well, well, there is some people who are trying to do that. But at the end of the day, what we need to do is build resilience for both of our children that, you know, we, there are certain languages that, and that can improve that. We do know that boys are shamed. So that's that don't be a sissy toughen up stuff, but also, you know, grow a pair to a young boy, be a man. And I just want to, seriously, to a little boy or a growing boy, he's a boy. And so I guess what I've found in all my work, both counselling-wise, um, um, is that boys have more muscle. 
So they are physically stronger. Remember, they're biologically wired to be the pe- ones who kill mammoths and keep us safe. They're still they're still great at that. Um, the second level of that, they're biologically wired to kind of um, you know kill a deer for dinner, which is the thing that's changed now because us girls can kill some deer now. You see, that's yeah. Does that make some sense here? Yes. Um, and and us women, again, are wired to do slightly other things. So sometimes um, the physical strength, us girls can develop it, can't we? But we are actually emotionally way, way tougher. And you can find that, I mean, I've worked a lot in death and dying. Um, we know that later in life, if, if the woman dies, we know we've got to really keep an idea out for the man because they're not as strong at dealing with major trauma and crisis. So if we can keep in the back of our minds, our boys have got physical stuff, toughness, but an emotional fragility... You're on the pathway to understanding how to raise a boy that one day can be both of those things. So he can be that sensitive, caring man when he needs to be. Um, but he knows he can also own the vulnerability. And that's one of the things that triggers suicide later, Libby Jane, is um, the number of times a man gets to a state where he feels so incredibly vulnerable and we've not allowed them to feel vulnerable and we've not allowed them to come to who they love and say, I'm just not doing really well. Yeah, because it's the warrior that's on their knees. Um, that if we can shift that mindset that said even worry has come apart, um, then we're going to make a big difference into that into that suicide rate. I try to tell my boys that it's always okay to cry, it's okay to show emotions, but there's so much information out there for parents these days. It does get quite confusing, especially where you read one thing that says don't overpraise, then don't underpraise, and then don't tell your child they're special because what if they don't end up becoming that rock star that they dream of being? So where do we find that nice medium where we praise them and say, I'm proud of you no matter what? Because I said that once to my son who yeah. hadn't done so well in a maths test, yeah. and he said, but mum, look at my result. And I just said, I don't care. Yeah. I'm proud of you no matter what you do. Is that overpraising? No. no look, the big message that our boys need to, to get, well, I have both our genders, but particularly our boys is that I can love you no matter what because there's an incredible impulsivity about boys. Remember, they, they're they later to develop the ability to go, let me pause before I jump off this tall thing. Um, and that's that warrior, that's that wiring in them that uh, the amygdala is larger, so therefore they like risk, they love a bit of buzz, they often have more energy, all these things that anyone who's a mother of sons says, yep, that's my house. Um, I was a bit like that as a girl. So that's another reason. Every now and then you'll have a girl who's a little bit like that boy energy. Now, what we do know is that they do break things and they do do things. They make more mistakes. And and part of my work is teaching parents how to, you know, how to help a boy who has broken the window. Yeah. Throwing something um, who didn't actually aim for the window and is wondering why you're going psycho at them. Because in his world, he didn't aim at it, it was an accident. And so therefore there's not really a problem with it. So what we find with boys is sometimes they have no idea what you're going on about because they didn't plan to hurt someone. They didn't plan to damage property. They didn't plan. It just all happens impulsively. So we're trying to sort of growl at a child who's making an impulse, which is, which is what a lot of little boys do. So my challenge is, can I hold that little boy with my hand or hold him close and say, I need you to know that's not okay. Yes. I need you to know that, you know, trying, these are my simple rules. Um, you know, people can find them on my Facebook page. Try not to hurt yourself. Try not to hurt others and try not to damage the world around us. If we can keep those simple rules to our boys and every now and then we can pull them aside quietly. We one-on-one quietly 
sanction boys. We will not create that terror of being caught out as a failure. So we take them aside and say, now, can you see that this was one of the rules? Okay, so now that you've you've accidentally done this, now we need to work out how to make it right because that's what a good man does. He makes it right. In other words, he is accountable. He becomes responsible. But I'm still going to love you as you walk through this process. And it's really interesting because I had one of my boys steal a... Um, a book off a, a book fair, and of course I found it in the uh, in the bag, and I've asked him about it, and, he, and they can't lie. I could tell on his face, it definitely. <laughs> and he, and I said, so have you stolen this book? And his face just gasped. And he said, yeah, but all the boys took one. And I said, I'm not responsible for all the other boys. So this is stealing. It's not okay in our family. So what am I, what do you think I'm going to ask you to do? He said, I could go and poke it back. And I said. You could, but technically you aren't owning what you've done. No, you're going to the principal and you're going to say, I stole this and you're going to wear the consequences. And he just couldn't believe I'd be that man because nobody else's parent did that. And at the end of the day, his moral code is my responsibility when he is seven. So did he do it? Yeah, he wow. he, he absolutely loathed me for weeks and, and did. He told me he hated me. He said I was unfair and mean. Um, and what's beautiful, though, is I'm developing a conscience in a son. Right. And many, many years later, he was at university and um, one of his friends who doesn't have much of a moral code, they're walking at the beginning of the year. He said, have you got your parking sticker yet? Because you've got to buy one. And he said, no, I should have enough money next week. He said, wait a minute. Off. And a window is down. He stole one and gave it to my son. My oh. son rang me the next morning. He said, Mum, I haven't been able to sleep all night. And I said, why? What's happened? And he said, um, Chris actually stole me a parking thing. And, and and, and he said, and I said, well, and he said, that's a conscience, babe. And he said, I know. And I said, what are you, what are you going to do to make that right? He said, Mum, I got the rego. I'm going to go and put it back today. Wow, and I got man. off the phone punching the air from the boy that hated me way back when he was seven. But can you see it was done with love? Yes. I yes. didn't I didn't ground him for a week. And that's one of the other things. We have a perception that unless you are really strongly punish boys for doing what you don't want, they won't ever learn to do what you do want. And I'm going to say, that's rubbish. What it does when we keep hurting and punishing boys is we're not coaching them onto a better choice. And how else could they do that next time? Maggie, can we talk a bit about sibling rivalry? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure I'm not the only parent out there who has had one child say about the other, you love him yep, more yep, than me. Yep. And I'll say, well, no, it's just that you get in trouble more than him and you get yelled at a bit more, but I love yep. you exactly the yep. same. Yep. How to reassure your children that, you know, your sibling's not your enemy and you're both <laughs> equally loved. It's not an easy one. No, but the first thing you have to remember is, is that um, anyone in the family is uh, trying to get exactly the same amount of resources that are available for themselves. That's just human nature. Got it? So naturally we're going to have a, 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 an imbalance at times and a you've got more than me stuff. That's actually completely normal in human character. It's the same in a workplace. It's the same anywhere, even as a growing up. So remember, there's limited resources that we're all trying to fight for and one of those resources is, um, is love which is why um, a, a boy can feel incredibly loved after he's gone f to the beach with you and had fun and you haven't had to say a word. Can you see? Okay, so the second thing's under underneath this. Temperaments make a lot of difference and usually the one complaining the most will be what I call the rooster child, the more alpha child, the one that looks for, hey, look at me, look at me, <laughs> don't want to share nothing. Um, so we're building a bit of empathy in that child, you know, and we, we, have to do, we have to keep repeating and saying, of course I do, this is just how it is. But I would probably look at what other ways can I build a stronger intimate relationship with that lad 
and I've I've got an article in a, in a um, YouTube clip on my website about building love bridges. So they're these micro moments of connection more often than great big macro. We need macro. We need the big ones. But we need these so that that's the boy I would probably tickle on the back of the neck a bit more often. That's the one who I'd probably give a little punch on the arm a bit more often. So what I'm going to do is connect with him a little bit more because he's feeling a little insecure in that space. So these little micro moments completely counteract the fact that he won't feel that quite so much because we're in that space. As a mother of boys, and I think a mother, one of the researchers I read about sibling rivalry said that the the siblings who get on quite well in their 20s and 30s and beyond had these peak moments of play experiences that transcended everything and they have developed these incredibly deep memories of having fun with their siblings. And this is sort of like why I keep saying to parents, um, you know, if you've, if you've got a big backyard, which there aren't many in Sydney, of course, but around Australia, if you've got a big backyard, get a really big truckload of sand delivered when they're kind of like four, six and eight. And it will make them play together vigorously. Your yard will look very different afterwards. It means do I take them somewhere on a camping holiday where they can be really feral for a massive period of time? These are what, you know, get a, a slide, a plastic slide for water. Peak moments of playing together create this anticipation I can have fun with my siblings. So that later on, we're building up the perception that we can have fun. We're not just in competition. And I think the other thing is knowing that children's arousal states are something that they get better at as they get older. But we need to be tuned in from a distance. If we can hear voices start changing, we need to go in because our children need us to help them manage a moment that they are unable to manage. So it might be time to go outside. It might be time for some fruit. Um, so for me, if I heard that, I'd go up the other end of the house where kind of there was this their TV toy area, open the door and say, everyone out. And they go, but I didn't start. No, no, everyone out. Just a few minutes out. Off you go. Out you go. Five minutes. That's all it is. Five minutes. I'll be back. Lock the door. And I go and have a cup of tea and a Tim Tam because I feel the calmer that I am, the better I'm going to handle this. And then when I go up and let them back, I go to let them in. They've got a new game going. So in actual fact, the movement of one place to another restarts all their motors and they'll often quite naturally find something else to do instead of fight because you can only stay in one place for a certain period of time. One will lose energy and get wimpy and the other will build up energy and want to punch something. <laughs> so can you see, it's, we, we just need to know that growing, uh, ch children need us to help them sometimes with this. Um, and I think the other one around it is, you know, using timeouts um, to, you know, counteract this in actual fact can make it worse because what you're doing is pushing me away from your heart making me feel wrong, where in actual fact I just wasn't coping. And that's one of the big messages I have around discipline is every now and then um, our children respond because they're in a stress situation rather than maliciously planning to really be revolting and that sometimes we need to be the one with the prefrontal lobe that can recognise that I could probably help with this. Would you like a drink? You're looking a bit crabby. Yeah? Does that make sense? Of nipping it before it goes to explode because cortisol feels ghastly for everybody. Troy Jones heads The Real Men Project. He's a big believer in educating boys about respect for women and mental health strategies for young men. The Real Men Project also partners with schools and state governments to tackle difficult conversations with young boys. Troy, what would you say are the major concerns for teenage boys today? Thank you for having me. I really think the issues are 
many faceted. Um, probably there's specific issues around technology, around porn, around alcohol, around girls, uh, around pressure from social media. There's there's hundreds, but the way we tackle it at the Real Men Project is to identify that there's no wall high enough we can build for these boys to stop them from certain behaviour. Um, instead, what we really want to do is give the mums and the dads, and the dads in particular, the scope, the tools, the the confidence to raise these topics with their boys. And, and interesting, I'm, I've just turned 40, and uh, sorry to my dad if he's listening, um, but we never had a conversation about sex, we never had a conversation about drugs, we never had a conversation about any of those stuff because back then, although it was a risk, you know, the peer pressure was much more about smoking yes, <laughs> and porn was, was much more about a, a half-naked lady sitting on a couch if you happen to find one of your mate's dad's porn magazines hidden like Fort Knox under some, uh, you know, unbelievably built um, protective cave, um, whereas these days it's... Um, a Google search away. So the truth is for dads in this era, um, we need to have the conversations that we don't want to have. Uh, The boys don't want to talk to us about it and we don't want to talk to our boys about it. But unfortunately, uh, that's just the way it is. Is it a case of dads or mums sitting down with the boys and saying, look, this is really embarrassing, but I just want to have a quick chat with you. Look, and to understand that on some level, the boy does really want the information. Um, so I found advice we give in the Real Men Project. We have, for example, um, week-long sessions with the boys, um, and that could be boys that are in detention centre or that could be boys at really expensive private schools. Different conversations, different problems, but problems nonetheless. Um, the advice we give to the dads in the evenings, we have the, the corresponding dads courses at night time to tell them what we've been talking to the boys about, but then give them strategies on how to raise it. And one of my favourites is that we get them to talk about things on large or long car trips <laughs> because the boys and the dads are strapped in. Uh, they both can look forward down the road and not have that awkwardness of looking at each other when they're talking about all this mm. tough stuff. Um, and if they're heading down to the snow or they're heading off to go fishing up north or whatever it might be, um, it's just a really good way to breach that stuff, uh, have a conversation about it and not give them an out where they can switch to the phone or, or switch to Facebook and sort of or tune out. I think, think they then? need to also start these conversations much earlier. Adolescence is really, they, they probably know most of, you know, the stuff in a distorted way by the time you start having these conversations. I think we have to have these conversations very early on. And one of the most important um conversations to start is around the protective behaviours and around our body and who has permission to touch our body and what is consent. So it needs to start a lot earlier than than those things later and that comes from all of us. I think um, we're now recognising, and I was saying to you earlier on, Libby Jane, that uh, the number of men I've worked with who have never actually shared that they had been sexually abused and they were in their 60s and 70s have lived with this wound their entire life because of the incredible shame around it. Um, and so we're living in a, you know, a porn dripping world. So we need them to know that absolutely nobody and no secret is too important to keep. You can't do that anymore because there is an incredible naivety and um, innocence underneath what we perceive as the boys of today's world. Um, and they are quite fragile and they, they are easily groomed quite often because they're desperate for people to like them. And, and that's what a groomer does. That's what a pedophile does. They right. actually build up this relationship thing and they're so hungry for meaningful relationships. So that's why the stronger their relationship with their father and their uncles and the significant male figures in their life, the less likely they are to be groomed. The research we work with is that uh, it takes around about 20 
men over yep. the course of a, of a boy's life to go from a boy to being a well-rounded man. Yep. So we, we often work with mentors, with people that come in and give really great information to these boys to give them that role model idea of this is kind of the standards we want you to aim towards. And I have mates of mine who uh, have boyfriends that do really great stuff for their girlfriend. Um, and that sets a standard in my head to sort of say, oh God, I thought I was doing okay. I really thought I was being a great bloke and a good boyfriend. But look what this guy does. It's not necessarily a challenge or, or, a, or whatever, but it's something where you can just go, that's the level that others get to, maybe it's something that I can do. We, it was only the last week we were talking to, um, we're doing the final session with a group of, I don't know, 15 boys out at Bankstown, these guys that have been kicked out of enough public schools that they're now in the hands of the local sort of community centre and they don't go to school much, if at all, anymore. And I talked to them about responsible um, and respectful relationships. And these are tough guys that have had rough, rough lives, that have seen stuff that you know, probably most likely none of us have seen, um, lived through stuff that none of us have been through. And over the weeks, they start to get to trust me and get to open up and they're talking about near-death experiences and drug abuse and the porn that they're looking at, all that kind of stuff. But what is amazing is when I bring up, I, I show them photos of uh, Barack and Michelle Obama. <clears throat> and it's fascinating to watch these guys who are tough dudes who try and put up this barrier in front to like, we, uh, we do tough stuff and we you know, are really rough guys, 15-year-old troublemakers. But once we start going through a handful, maybe half a dozen of these photos, we can see them identify the same things that you and I would see, trust, loyalty, respect, mm. value, fun, enjoyment, these kind of things. And I sort of say, well, look, which of the things that you see in porn and the stuff that these boys are looking at porn, just to be clear, I don't yes. know your online habits, um, <laughs> but with these boys, we see some of the stuff that they see um, and we check it out ourselves. It's brutal. It is absolutely yeah. brutal. Stuff that even when you think, yeah, I know what brutal porn is, you don't know what these guys are looking at. And the truth is when I ask them, hey, which, which of the two do you like? Which of the two things do you want? Every time, every one of them will say, I want what I see with Barack and Michelle yeah. Obama. And you talk about brain stuff before, yeah. Maggie. Yeah. The way that porn influences yeah. how these boys' brains are growing, it actually reduces their likelihood of having that same yeah, relationship no. that Barack and Michelle Obama share of trust and respect and, and all those kind of things. So the boys do start to learn um, we can damage yeah. ourselves yes. by doing some of this behaviour. It's not just drugs, but porn can influence the brain of a young man in almost exactly the same way that drugs do. So once you see these boys start to grasp those things, and I love, my favourite analogy is to talk about Superman and uh, uh, Clark Kent. Yeah. Because Clark Kent is the alter ego. The truth is that person, <laughs> fictitious though he may be, can fly to the moon and, you know, save the world and do whatever, but he hides his talents. He hides his skills. So he's this bumbling journalist that knocks over his glass of water and can't see properly and there's all this sort of stuff. He's hiding who he really is in order to fit in with the community. Yes. And I challenge yes. these boys in these groups, whether it's, like I said, at an elite boys' school, it's no different, or the detention centres no out west. These boys hide their talents deliberately, no different to Superman, to fit in. And yeah. once you challenge them Along with that logic... With someone they know is an as obvious an example as Superman and Clark Kent. I had a great, I had the most beautiful text message from one of the boys in this in this group, fifteen year old hard nut, and he said, "Look, thank you for challenging me." He called him Ken Clark, which oh, I, he, he didn't know who I was talking about, but he got the yeah. point, um, yeah. saying, "You've challenged us." We talk a lot about sexting. We talk yeah. about respect for women. We yeah. talk about that stuff, and he he just picked up on this concept 
of hiding who he really is, his innate natural talents that he knows. And he's successfully hidden them from his mates, his dad, his yeah. mum, his whoever was in his life. Challenge him to say, mate, be Superman. We're crying out loud. But we why need are you they? Here. Why are they hiding their oh, talents? This is an adolescent thing. An adolescent thing is what, that when, there's some really powerful drivers that happen in adolescence, and some of them are we want more autonomy and freedom, which is why we push back from parents. We want to work out who we are, our sense of identity, but the biggest one is the belonging. So they've got to create this strong sense of belonging within their own age group and peers because if they had been in a traditional <laughs> tribal community, they're actually trying to create a new group so they can breed with them, not to breed with their parents. So there's a really powerful driver around that. That, that peer pressure stuff is... is we, we talk about the 20,000-year-old brain at the Real Men Project yeah. where our phones have operating system number yes. 10, but our brains are 0.1. Yeah. And the truth was 20,000 years ago, we lived in the plains yep. of Africa or whatever it was, and peer pressure was vital because if, if we yep, start annoying the chief and yep. we start annoying all the other guys, the first thing that happens is you get kicked out of the the clan. And so once you get yeah. kicked out of the clan and you're on your own and you're fighting the tigers and yeah. things by yourself, you're dead. You're dead. So how long does it take so for that 20,000 year old, that 20,000 year old brain learns pretty fast. Don't annoy others because yeah. you're going to die. We watched Trevor get kicked out and he got eaten yeah. by that hippo. So we'll this just learn. So you watch so these boys look around the die. rooms. You look, you watch them. Even yeah. when I start talking, the first day I'm there, you see them looking at each other going, are we liking this dude or yeah. are we not liking yeah. this dude? So waiting for one sort of to kind of like, is this going to be okay? And what's really powerful is when you connect to boys' emotions and, and hope, which is, you know, exactly what you're doing, which is so powerful and which I accidentally did as an English teacher, um, is that when you can tell them a true story that is powerful, they transcend with that. But when they're not getting the stories like we used to around the campfire. Mm -hmm. which is yeah. what men and women shared stories forever. So they had this great depth of things that were good. And the other thing is if all they see is how to, um, you know, be sexually active as, you know, a porn star, how can they see the opposite? And that's my challenge. I keep saying we've got to find footage. There are some out there in some of the older movies, even Blue Lagoon, where they can see what that early lovemaking can be between two young adolescents who are emerging, which is gentle and fumbly and, and tender and scary. And they don't know that even exists, which is what you're doing with um, Barack Obama, because mm. this is the most incredibly open, loving, equal relationship. Yeah. And when they start seeing it, they go, I didn't know you could do it like that. I didn't know you could. So our challenge is how do we bring the other way? I took it. I've written a booklet called Taking the High Road to Adulthood, which instead of taking the low one, there is this higher one. And when we talk about boys who volunteer and boys who go and help an aged care's home and boys who um, are actually helping raise the children home because their parents are unwell or disabled, they didn't know that, that boys could do that. Boys can do it equally as well as girls. But once again, will that be cool in terms of me belonging in my school environment? And it's these massive changes that are happening. And that's why when they hear stories and hear men who are actually living in the relationships they want to be and to be able to bring forth what they've brought on our earth, and every single one of them has a spark that, that we our world needs, that's then right. they and start that's... to get inspired by it and they will change like that. Like I said before about changing quickly when mum stops nagging the poop out of them, they just suddenly go, wow, different direction. Yeah. And so much of it, it really, Maggie, comes down to, um, I think, there's, there's so many of my generation, like I said, I'm 40. Um, there's so many of my generation of guys that are really successful at work. They're doing these really great things. They have young families. Some of them, as we were talking about just off air a second ago, you know, suicide is something that has impacted my life through friends of mine who have great lives to look at from the outside, look at their Facebook, you look at all the rest of it, they have these amazing lives, wives, families, jobs, everything. And then they turn up one day 
dead yeah. um, through their own hand. And, um, and I think a big part of that is wrapped up in this same issue because I think we're looking at the same side. Yeah. This is the same coin from yeah. different sides because yeah. I think in my world what I do when I, I talk um, inspiring adults my age or boys, 14, 15, 16 years old, I really think there's two ways to be happy. I really think that um, it all comes around to the image you have in your head of who you are and whether you're achieving the things that you want to achieve and whether you're on track for the life that you want to have. But I think ultimately you need to either be, one, growing, so learning, developing new skills, doing things better than you did before. And I think at the age of 40 when you, you know, a lawyer and you, <coughs> you, you've gotten to where you wanted to get and you've done all that thing, you turn around and go, hang on, but I still feel that emptiness and yeah. I start to plateau. Yeah. And if, like in life, I'm a big believer that if you plateau, you don't stop, you fall back. So I think part one is be growing, but part two is to be giving. And a big part of our community has lost this idea yeah. altogether of um, something other than paying my mortgage off and having my kids at the most expensive school or yeah. flying first class to Aspen to yeah. go skiing in the holidays or whatever. The truth is giving to other people is what really, really we're built to do yeah. and also gives us that happiness. So I, I challenge uh, mm -hmm. the people in my networks, and this is largely how the Real Men Project works, is to build the networks that we can put in front of these challenged young men whether they're at the schools or at the detention centres, challenging both sides of the coin. So not just the kids to say, hey, look at life differently, but challenge men my age who've done great things, who've gone through the hoop, who've looked at the porn, who've survived the thing, who've done the whole bit. Great men do, do terrific things to say, look, you're doing really well so far. You've got a great house. You've got great kids. You've done so well. What you haven't done is been the mentor to someone outside of your circle, someone who is beyond someone you care about. <coughs> Go out to Bankstown to the kid that scares you to death who you'd cross the road to avoid, stand in front of him, open your soul and say, this is who I am. This is what I've failed at. I'm no different to you. We look different, but we aren't. And say, you can succeed in the ways I have, and I'm here to challenge you, young man. And I guarantee you, as I do with the guys that work mm -hmm. with the Real Men Project, everybody walks away feeling better about themselves. Yeah. And the guy who's the head of retail at Apple walks away saying, I'm better off for knowing that kid who's at Bankstown. Yeah. And the Bankstown boy goes, I've got a whole new plan in front of me. So to look at this, and I hate it, look at how the teen boys are opposed by the media in so many ways. If it's a current affair every or it's today, tonight, it's the guy, so cross. the drug using, the graffiti, the, the generalising that every boy is doing yes. this tiny yep. percentage. Right. But to say, look, we, it's our issue. It's not yep. their issue. It's something where these guys need to help we've and we've let been them letting them down. down. I agree with you, Maggie, 100%. So... Look, I think it's a long-winded answer to your question, mate, but that's, uh, that's what I think the issue facing the boys is. They're out there alone in a pretty tough world. What are some simple things that we can do or parents can do to make sure that their children don't fall down that rabbit hole of porn and... Or the other nasty Recognize that about. the truth is that they're going to fall down the hole. Yeah. It's not something you can stop. The wall. So a lot. Of, so this mm. is a classic. I was at a very, very expensive elite Sydney boys school the other day talking to the principal. And he said, our boys never do this stuff. <laughs> that was Maggie. <laughs> Sorry, that was <laughs> No, you're right. And I sat there and said, mate. Oh, Mother of four do. sons here. The truth, and, they, and they said, no, no, we have, uh, they, we have uh, the boys are only allowed to use our Wi-Fi networks and we have the net nannies <laughs> and we have the rest of it on there. And I sat down with the boys. We've been there for a week. And, I sat, and on the third day, I'll tell you, when the teachers are there, and this is why Real Men Project is important, because the boys don't tell the teachers anything because they're going to get busted. Of course. But they'll tell us. Yeah. Well, I'll say, look, hey, the teachers turn around. The teachers please leave the room now. What, where, where do you go for your porn? 
um, and they'll tell us 40 million different places yeah. and it changes every day and it's not the app that you and I know about. It's the app that we don't find out about for 12 months. Yeah. That's on the cr- So yeah. if you block this one, they've, already they've got other stopped ones using happening. that last year. Absolutely. What you cannot, I sat with a group of these boys who were, you know, struggling kind of dudes. They weren't the smartest. They weren't the best. They weren't, you know, just regular kids. Your tents. They used their school Wi-Fi sitting in their school library using the school iPads, rerouted their internet through Croatia or somewhere, and we're looking at porn sitting on the the couches at this expensive boys' school where the principal told me 20 minutes earlier that our boys wouldn't do that. They may. This is what the guy said. Let's see what reaction we get out of Maggie, shall we? He said they may accidentally stumble across (laughs) something. Oh, sorry. No, well, that's but right. No, it actually does find That was them. the principal of, a, of an elite school You saying, do know that porn finds you. You don't even have to go looking okay. for it. But that's I'm going to say, boys, one of the things that sets up boys, remember that internal thing? If I if there's a challenge I could get. So the challenge is how do I get around these things? That's why it actually almost drives yeah. them to do it because and it shows how clever they I are. I remember looking up boobs in the dictionary. And oh, seeing no. it was in there and going, oh, how fantastic that. You talk to any bloke my age, the, the best day of the week was when the, you know, yep. the, the, the um, yep. underwear catalogue turned yep. up at home in the mail. You're not going to stop them looking at it. That's the truth, the tr- in my opinion. So to feel yep. like they're looking at it as a failure yep. is yep. setting yourself up yep. to be a failure because you're not going to stop it. The truth is we have to have a conversation with our boys, awkward and horrible though it is for everyone involved, <laughs> to sit there mm. and say, how does it make you feel, dude? Yeah. Do you like it? Because the peer pressure, you know, and it has a real sharp edge. This stuff has a sharp edge and it's called sexting. Yeah. And it turns into, and I'm I'm a regular 40-year-old Australian white bread bloke who has seen his fair share of pornography and looked for, well, I happily say I didn't stumble across it when I typed in some (laughs) accident. And the truth is. He's an honest man. Well, there's no other way. And so I just say, look, you can't honestly expect in any honest conversation with yourself that we can stop a boy from looking at it. But what we can do is say, look, it has these kind of impacts. No one really is going to step in your way because you're always, you know, you talk to a 14-year-old boy, their number one skill in life is the speed with which they can delete their browser history. Yep. They'll say that they're dying. The one thing they'll call out to their mate to tell them to do (laughs) is please delete my browser history before my mum sees my phone. And they're experts, smarter than we will ever be. So we have to have the conversation. So the truth is, mate, how does it make you feel? Do you want... A relationship like, for mm-hmm. example, the Barack Obama. And, yeah. I, and honestly, it works in every – if yes. I give your listeners one tip yeah. is to try that. Pick – there's there's a hundred fantastic photos. Yes. And some of the ones you can identify – And video clips. Yeah, yeah. And there's the one that I love. There's this bit where Barack is giving a kiss to Michelle in front of the security – you know, the, whatever they're called, the NSA yeah. or whatever. And one of the biggest things that the boys and girls both talk about in our schools is they talk about how girls act differently when – their friends are around. The girls are great, you know, friendly when it's one-on-one. Their mates turn up and all of a sudden it's all different. What they want is the girls to be consistent. Yes. You talk to the girls, they'll say precisely the same thing yeah, exactly. and if to, to a letter. And what's amazing for me is there's a photo of Barack and, and Michelle having a very intimate moment in front of a whole heap of other people. Yeah. And, and we use that to say, look, that's, that's cool. You guys are sitting here and you're looking at this <coughs> image going yeah. – I, I like that. Yeah. And that peer pressure thing, there's no tiger that's going to eat you anymore no. if you get kicked out of the group. Helping the boys understand their brain. I put up this picture, which is pretty gross in a way. It's a brain connected to a spinal cord sitting on a floor. Oh. 
Gross, right? Yes. But kind of tough. <laughs> and I sort of say, look, that's us. Mm. Our whole system, skin, muscles, sex, safety, everything is connected around this concept of protect and expand mm. that brain and that spinal cord that's sitting on the floor. Yeah. And yeah. every single part of it is that. And if we can just recognise that we're safe and we're, we're tempted to risky behaviour and there's no... Um, there's no prefrontal cortex. Explain to them what that is. The yeah. amygdala is driving the, the show, yeah. and you've got a prefrontal cortex that a good mate of mine describes About as handbrakes. About 27 to 80 it grows in yeah. boys. And, and they say oh. it's like handbrakes on a Ferrari yeah. heading down a hill. So they've got this this scream of a two-year-old boy that kicks over the Lego for no reason. You say, why would you do that? And he goes, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, same as a 14-year-old boy. They've got handbrakes on a Ferrari, and part of the parent's job is to be the the yeah. prefrontal cortex. Can just I add to one that? thing just in that one? The, the highest incidence in America of um, erectile dysfunction is 18 to 22-year-old men. Really? Yeah, because that's what happens if you've actually been saturated with porn. You actually need to keep your imaginative um, space in your mind to be able to get an erection. And so they're actually, it's just not working anymore, which is the reverse of, and that's exactly what excessive use does because it messes with the brain, the dopamine receptors. My, my mates and I call it the yips. Yips. So you have the go. yips. Yips, there you I don't go. know, that's, that's very <laughs> much my mates, but yeah. we, you know, you have the yips and that's either a nervousness because yeah. <laughs> I'm in this situation. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm not as good as the guys that I've seen yes. on the porn videos. I'm not as big as the guys. And I know, yeah. and this is the scary stuff about porn, oh my God, is that um, they see stuff that they think the girls like. The most brutal Six. of porn, here's in the US, they have the thing, there must be legislation at the end of it, They of this brutal beating choking, throttling, yes. vomiting yeah. stuff that these girls go through. The video finishes and the guy who's holding the camera goes, so did you like that? You know, how did you feel? Because it must be to prove that it's not rape. Okay. I'm sure that's the logic. Yep. But a boy watching it, and it's tough as a man to watch. Girls are turning up choking. in emergency departments physically injured from their first sexual encounters because of this. But at the end of it, this is what's mm. stunning, is that the boy watches the whole thing. At the end of it, the girl says, oh, God, I loved it. She's doing that to get the $400 check. Yep. Or whatever it is. He but the it. point is, boy goes, huh, right. I don't know. I've never had a conversation with anyone about this. Seems Nasty. to me that guy just beat the living mm -hmm. crap out mm -hmm. of that girl and choked her. And, and when she threw up, everyone seemed to think that was extra awesome. This is the stuff they're watching and the stuff that's free. And yep. you can download it and you can have it deleted yep. before mum checks if you're playing, you know, remote control boats. So or what if you're should we be it. doing? And do the boys want to have this chat with mum or no, dad? Neither. Or it doesn't matter. They don't want either. No one wants to talk no, about but, it. No, but we have to have yeah. those. You have to start much earlier as well. And we have to keep on every now and then when we're watching telly with them saying, now that's the sort of thing a good man does. That's and, the sort of thing. And to start yep. the conversation from that third party. Gradual. That third party thing. We're recognising that no one wants to talk about it. The schools, they're not, the kids aren't going to talk to the teachers. The teachers, without that open invitation, can't. And litigiously, et cetera, they're not going to go, hey, everyone, let's talk about porn anyway. Mm. So the point is, I think the, the space that Real Men Project fits in is to kick off the conversation with the boy and give the dad or the mum the tools with which to finish or continue that conversation. That third party person, it could be an uncle, it could yeah, be a we mate. We call it a lighthouse, a significant a adult ally that they can trust who's not mum and dad. They who's are not going to get busted. Important. Not going to get busted. The person you can go to when you're praying dad's car first, it's, yeah. that's a yeah. role that yeah. used to be in Indigenous communities and we've lost it. Yeah. So it was an auntie right. and uncle, but it's actually a significant, sometimes it's a teacher or a coach. But the kids who actually thrive best have these what we call lighthouse figures and the more the better. 
That, I couldn't agree more, Maggie. That that's that process where that person can be talking to the boy, saying, "Man, I just think it. Do you, do you check yeah. out porn? Blah blah blah." It's a it's a less freaky conversation. That guy can report back to mum and dad. Say, "Look, yeah, yeah well, here's the situation." Preferably not break trust, but still let them know we're having a conversation, which means fuel. That yeah. means mum and so dad. So again, it's that it's that community thing that we mm-hmm. don't have. That community thing where the the outside external bloke and I tell, a number of my friends are single mums. And they stress, they freak yeah. about their sons who don't have much of that dad involved, and they've mainly got the mum's mainly got girlfriends, and and you know they've got a gym and gym teacher, but there's not much around. I think there's a real big onus on this 40, 50 year old man yeah. in our community to Stepping say, look, I want more for, I want more from myself. My standard for myself and my community is higher than what I'm currently doing, even though I'm driving a nice car and yep. I go on overseas holidays and my daughter goes to a private school. To say, there's more that I need to do. See that worth and value of a growing man, Mm. it kind of goes to the place where this is where I now contribute the best part of me back to others, not just my own family. And the most content men and the most stable men late in life have found this. Absolutely. And I I think that's what my challenge is. And that's what our, I I spend a lot of time thinking about what our generation's legacy will be. And I hope um, this is one of them where we can find, we can step past this it's hard to call it selfish because you have a wife and you have kids and you're looking after your thing and you've got your cousins and all that stuff. But that that true altruism to go, I'm helping someone outside of my area. I don't know that guy. And, and Maggie will, will hopefully agree that if you're looking for signs of growth in a young man, if they go out of their way to help someone that's not in there, that's not their dad, that's not their uncle, that's not their mate, they help a random person. You've really got a good boy there. Yeah. You've really done well as a parent because they're helping someone outside Huge of their moment. So a lot of our generation probably missed that as well and never did it and now doesn't really see the necessity of giving back um, where our whole community 100 years ago thrived on it. Yeah. And it's why we live in the community we did now. The bricks of that wall have fallen over a bit and I'm hoping, hopefully, oh, like I'll guarantee you, I don't know the stats or the, or the listenership of this show, but uh, there's no blokes. There'd be very few because, I mean, we see it with our being dad material. and It's it's a mum's thing. And Why is that though? It's changing now. It? I'm, I'm getting oh, yeah. so many dads turn up to seminars now. Some of them bring all their mates. But why, why is because it Because they want to be better. So I'm, I'm a, um, an author of a book called Being Dad and it's bestseller and it's um, something mm. I'm very proud of. But it's absolutely aimed at women and it gives women an insight into what men are thinking about mm. because commercially yep. um, blokes don't wander down you know, yep. and buy a copy of Being Dad to inform no. themselves about pregnancy because they know it. Or, more likely, I'll think about it later. So blokes need the skills or the recognition to say, this is something that will make me feel better today to learn this stuff, to do this stuff. Um, why is it? I think it's because probably 50 years ago it was a women's business. It was. Raising children. Even you look commercially in, in the world yep. in terms of junior primary school teachers and daycare, yep. it's women. Um, there's no men around. You look in the disability community where a big chunk of the Real Men Project work is, is with 35-year-old mentally disabled men who have never had a male role model in their lives and they make horrible choices, unbelievably bad choices, because no one ever said, mate, here's the rules. This is, as Meggie said at the very start, this is what consent is. If you've got a girlfriend, she has to consent every time, dude. And the frightful thing... And it's supposed to be mutually enjoyable for both of you. Well, I've never done that myself. I'll get there. I'm on the path. But I tell you what, what is is true is for me is that... The, the 35-year-old men with these mental disabilities that we work with, and we see real progress, 
is really similar logic to a, like a year nine boy. I don't know the science yeah. behind it, Maggie, but I'm just anecdotally, it's I a really similar logic. Yeah. It's a really similar framework they have in terms of consent, in terms of ideas yeah. of what's okay. So um, we, we look, we do have a lot of work to do, but to the current system of let's talk to each other about the problem is just not getting us anywhere. So, <laughs> look, I'm big on changing that, challenging the blokes um, and challenging them to help people outside of their sphere. Um, look, that's that's might be the only way out, the only way. Mm. Well, Troy and Maggie, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. And here's me thinking I've got 15 years experience as a boy <laughs> and mum and I know quite a lot, but it seems I know nothing. Um, there's so much more to <laughs> We've learn. We've done our job, Maggie. Yeah. We have. We've, 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 we've sold some so, more stuff. There's so much more to learn. And it is, it's a time of crisis for it young is. boys. Um, but so long as they have mentors yeah. and they have parents that love yeah. them, they're on the right track. And the parents that turn up, I'll guarantee you, Libby, you're mm. one of the people that sits yes. here and asks the questions. Yes. You're the one of the good ones. You're right. It's the guys that don't turn up. And then we've got to remember we actually are um, – we co-parent each other's children. I've, I've been the other mother to a really large number of boys who now tell me as men how important that was. I didn't think much of it that they oh. turned up for chocolate cake some afternoons or that they stayed on my couch. I didn't know what was going on in the world, but that was there was one safe place that I didn't interrogate them, I didn't anything. Mm. So they're all our boys. Mm. They're yeah, all our yeah. boys and, and being able to include them at times just makes them feel they belong. Tell them stories huge. of how we stuffed up. Yeah. Tell yeah. them how we got it wrong and ask them for help. God, yeah. they're brilliant. They're yeah. such great dudes. Every single one of them have this Superman in them. Yeah. And and to encourage that out is to find a way through. And we can't leave it to chance. That's the big message I think I'd like everyone to hear, that we have to actually consciously from the time they're born ask those questions about how can I turn this little boy into an awesome good man. 100% Maggie, completely agree. LJ, so much good advice in there. Absolutely brilliant advice. And I do love that a lot of the, the advice is very simple, you mm. know, simple praising and telling children that I'm proud of you and I love watching you play sport, just telling them that you're there for them and mm. you're their biggest supporter. And listen, listening and answering their questions. That's right, communication so is a big one. And so, LJ, next week we're on a, um, a slightly more adult topic. Tell us about next week's podcast. We're going to talk about romance is not dead. You know, romance is one of the most popular book genres, but a lot of people seem ashamed to admit they read romance. And oh, I, was, I thought you meant romance within one's relationship. Oh, no, oh no, that's, no that's, that comes into it as well. But in terms of books and movies, and you know, romance is a huge genre. And with Fifty Shades of Grey, which of course is always a big conversation starter, some people were either embarrassed to admit they read it or embarrassed to admit they liked it um, but it's a fact that no matter what um, no matter what book series is huge. I mean, you look at um, Twilight, for example. Yes, it was a romance between a vampire and a human, but the centre of the story was all about romance. So we're going to talk to some experts there back in history about romance and whether it is indeed still alive. Great. Well, LJ, you're a HuffPost human. I'm a HuffPost human. Listener, if you think you might be a HuffPost human, send us an email. Um, drop it to inbox at huffingtonpost.com.au with the word podcast in the subject line and we might get you on. 